The following program is furnished by Startup Nation Media Group. Welcome to this edition of Startup Nation Radio. You know, our favorite thing is bringing success stories onto the radio show, success stories that you can get inspired by and learn from. And boy, do we have a great one here today. They're especially good when those stories are right here, grassroots, homegrown, right in the Detroit region. We've got, no no pun intended, actually, we've got one of those stories, homegrown, grassroots, right here in our region, and happens to be in the business of uh, growing and selling plants. We're going to hear all about it. Before we get to that story, we've got Norm Pappas back with us, co-hosting the show today. Norm, it's always great to have you on Startup Nation Radio. Welcome. Yep, always good to talk to you and learn what's going on in the business world. Although I do listen to you in the morning <laughs> at 7.15. Okay, well, at 7.11, actually, Norm. But I'm glad to know you're listening, Norm. That's good to hear. And listen, Norm, you're a business junkie. You love business. You love success stories. You love people who are doing things. I know you well enough to know all that. I do, too. And it's so cool when we get to feature a story like the one we're going to feature today. We're going to have Justin Mast on the show with us today. He's the CEO of Bloomscape. This company bloomed out of nowhere and is growing rapidly. The puns continue. And and listen, Norm, this is thrilling. And I know you've done some research into Justin's story as well. It's going to be a good one, Norm. Yeah, one of the things, 70% of all companies fail to get to the second generation. There are five generations. So what's the secret to that? And I'm going to count how many puns you're doing. You've already got two. I know. Two. I know. They're all unintentional, too. I wish I could take credit for them. It just so happens it lends itself. The subject matter lends itself well. But I don't want to go head-to-head with you on that, Norm. You'll one-up me for sure. That is for sure. All right. Look, let's get Justin on this show with us, Norm. Let's start to hear about this amazing success story. Justin, welcome to Startup Nation Radio. Thank you. Great to be here. So great to have you on. Listen, this company, Bloomscape, was founded by you in what I'd call a crowded field, crowded marketplace, challenging field. You started it just a few years ago, roughly, I don't know, roughly four years ago in 2017. You're based in Detroit. You've raised a total of $22 million and a recent round of $15 million raised from a who's who list of investors, certainly validating and endorsing you and the company and what you're doing and where it's headed and it's just a thrilling story, Justin. Tell us what is Bloomscape and give us a little bit of the, you know, the, the genesis of this, this idea. So we are a modern garden center. Uh, our mission is to really simplify the way people buy plants and really improve the experience around becoming a gardener and caring for plants. We launched uh, just a few years ago with a focus on indoor plants, but this past spring we, we branched into outdoor plants as well. Uh, along with care products and, and tips and tricks and a lot of other things we do to help people be successful. So, you know, our big vision is really to reinvent the garden center for a new generation of plant parents. Norm, if you and I got pitched an idea to back an idea to do what Justin is obviously proving successfully he can do, we might have said, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of out there. You know, there's a lot of others doing that. It's a competitive field. You know, and this speaks to the whole point I'm making is not that this isn't a good idea, but to the contrary, that the entrepreneur behind this vision really is the key to its success because he's coming up with clever ways to differentiate, to streamline the process and all the rest. Justin, how do you carve out a niche in a field that's, that you know, if you were to interview other CEOs or founders of other companies like yours, they might say similar things. You're clearly carving a path of success by executing and doing those things. Tell us about the secret sauce here. Retail lawn and garden in the United States is a $50 billion industry. So it's a lot bigger than most people realize. 
Um, close to half of that $50 billion is, is live plants and kind of gardening care products. And so it's a big category and one that, especially in the last 25 years, has come to be utterly dominated by the match retailers and the box stores like Lowe's, Home Depot, and Walmart. And so, you know, I grew up in the business. My parents were supplying some of those stores and I watched, you know, this transformation take place. And what they did really well was they made it cheap and fast to get plants, you know, in in the suburbs. And that worked really well for this, I think, the generation of gardeners that came before us. But these businesses got locked in a price race, a, a price race to the bottom. And the product got really cheap and experience got really cheap. And now we have this new generation, you know, millennials and Gen Z, you know, we're coming into our adult years, we're, we're settling down and gardening is really moving to the center of that lifestyle. It's been well, well talked about that millennials took a little bit longer to click into that adult phase where we're buying homes and having kids, but here we are now. And we like to buy things a little bit differently. We like an authentic brand. We define convenience and quality differently than our parents did. And the box store model of the garden center really doesn't fit that profile very well. So we're here um, doing those things, those simple things really well. All of our product is direct from the greenhouse. So it's healthier, it's fresher. You buy online, we help you pick the right plants for you. It gets delivered to your door. It's convenient in a very digital first way. And, you know, despite the innovation that we're making here and how new we are, we're also very old. And then I come from five generations of greenhouse owner and operators. So we know the business, we know how to maneuver and build up a supply chain, build quality in this business. And I think that authentic brand story is something that really resonates with our customer base. Norm, save your question. We're going to go right to you right after this break. I want to then follow Norm's question. I want to make sure we cover a little bit about some of the key steps you took to put this business together. People out there who are listening to this story say, I could sell plants. I love plants. I could do something like this. Or maybe I could learn from Justin about what he's doing in his niche in order to do it in mine successfully. So let's tackle that in our next segment. But Norm, I promise we're going straight to you after this break on Startup Nation Radio. Welcome back to Startup Nation on WJR. Here's Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to this edition of Startup Nation Radio. Jeff Sloan with co-host Norm Pappas on Startup Nation. And Norm, we're hearing a great story of an entrepreneur who's making it happen. Norm, you had a question when we went to our last break. I want to turn it right over to you. We're listening to the great story of Bloomscape, and we're talking to the founder, Justin Mass, founder and CEO of that great company. Norm, it's all yours. Yeah. So I work with a lot of business owners, Justin, and the question I would have for you is twofold. What's your business dream? And then when you raise money and you raised a lot of money from investors, what's the dream you're presenting to them that you're going to accomplish for them? Yeah. I mean, it's really interconnected, of course. I mean, our vision is to reinvent the garden center and really build the most recognized brand and plants. I think there's a big opportunity to carve out a premium experience, a premium retail brand in the space. And there really hasn't been a premium garden center brand nationwide in the U.S. since Smith & Hawkins many decades ago. And so that's what we're after. When we're raising money, I think the basic questions, of course, are how will we use the money and you know, what's the exit strategy? You know, we see this as potentially a billion-dollar business. And so and we, we know it's one that 
if we can move quickly enough, if we can leverage investment to build our, out our supply chain, build a brand, really come out of the gate screaming that we can get there in the kind of timeline that makes sense for venture capital. So when I was looking at launching the business this time around, really built the business plan in parallel to that funding and, and growth strategy. And we're going to get to it in a minute. I, I want to make sure we talk about this most amazing round. You just completed a $15 million raise. You know, not many, not many at all companies get there, especially B2C companies. You know, this is a really amazing achievement. And you're definitely now on the radar screen of uh, a darling company to watch in our region here, let alone nationally. First, tell us what were you doing prior to coming up with this idea to launch Bloomscape? So I grew up in a family business and started an early version of Bloomscape right when I came out of college. That first version of Bloomscape didn't work. And I left the business and was a part of some other startups. I went to the University of Michigan and got a graduate degree in architecture and design and moved to Detroit after grad school to be part of the entrepreneurial scene here. I've always been an entrepreneur. That's the world I grew up ingrained in. All right. Now, there was a moment where you were, you know, doing this and doing that in the entrepreneurial community here. And then there was a moment where you said, I'm going to create a new version of what I was doing before. I'm going to call it Bloomscape. Why that moment? And what was that moment like? One of the things that really drives me is an opportunity to make big impact. There was a moment where something clicked for me, though. Uh, a good friend of mine from U of M had started this business called Floyd Furniture, uh, Kyle Hoff. And they had just closed a round of funding. And I spent some time with him just learning about his business, how it worked. And that was really when I realized that uh, this direct-to-consumer model of digitally native brands that are selling products online and, you know, working directly with their own customers, that this is a venture-backed model. All right. So you, so you made the commitment to form the company, Justin, and then, you know, it's got to go beyond making that commitment. You've got to actually do the work required and do the things required, the key things in order to get the company off the ground. What were some of the steps you took before you launched the company to prepare yourself? What, what did you do at the point you committed to starting this company? I mean, there were two major things to focus on in getting this off the ground. And, and the first was, you know, we had to get the supply chain in place. And I think this is something unique about our business. Unlike many other direct-to-consumer businesses, we aren't able to tap into an existing infrastructure of third-party logistics. We ship through UPS, we ship through FedEx, but when it comes to warehousing and picking and packing and handling the product, this is something so unique to plants that we really had to have a strategy for really our own warehousing and fulfillment centers. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big part of it, getting that organized. It goes down to as detailed as the type of soil we use as a bonding agent in it to hold plants together, the root ball together more securely during shipping. We've got a packaging design with a patent on it. It comes down to the way we grow it, hold it in a USDA certified facility that's licensed to ship across state borders bunch of stuff. So getting that stood up, the supply chain stood up was a was a big part of it. And frankly, my instinct was that this is actually what was going to be our biggest differentiator coming out of the gate. You know, it's one thing to be able to ship a five foot tall tropical plant from Michigan to Boston in the dead of winter, but doing that hundreds of times a day, thousands of times a day is a, is a whole other level. And then to be able to do that at scale and maintain a good profit margin is, is a whole other level on top of that. 
So I, I would say probably three quarters of the work went into getting uh, the first phase of our supply chain right. And then the other big thing, of course, was building a brand. And so mm-hmm. we've, we've spent a lot of time crafting the brand. And then I had to convince investors that you could start a game-changing consumer brand out of Detroit. And, you know, we had Shinola, we had StockX was coming on the scene pretty strong. We had Floyd Furniture and, and a number of others that were starting to break out. But, um, you know, that was a new story when I was raising money the first time around. And so really it was brand building, uh, getting the supply chain in place and then starting to raise capital that I really focused on. Yeah. And so you, you did your homework, you put these pieces together, you went to investors with an offering to raise some seed capital, right? And that's how you funded the initial and then obviously you launched the company and you started to test the model. Can you tell us about the seed round and kind of what people thought about the idea, your vision and the, the, the idea of the business? It didn't go as quickly as I wanted it to. You know, you, you hear that fundraising is hard. And I, I'll tell you that despite the success we've had in raising money, it's hard. Yes, it is. <laughs> you get a lot of no's. Yep, yep. You got to knock and, on a lot of doors. That's true. And the pitch is so different at the seed stage versus the Series A or Series B stage because you don't have results to point to. You're really selling yourself and the vision. The vision, right. And I think locally, when I was talking to investors here in Detroit and in Michigan, people were bought in on me. People were, were ready to back me, but didn't have familiarity with the business model and the growth strategy like investors on the coast did. So I was talking to investors on the coast as well, who understood the business model really well, but didn't know me at all. And so I had to figure out a way to bring those two groups together bring in some investors who understood the business model and could validate, yeah, this is actually interesting. If this guy can get this to work, he could be onto something here. And then I needed local investors to vouch for me as an entrepreneur and and a business person. And so that was, that was very much a back and forth kind of circular process. You know, we raised about a million and a half dollars in the seed to be transparent. I meant to raise that before we launched and wasn't able to, and had a really interesting and tricky decision to make. You know, do we launch, go live, show everyone what we could do and risk running out of capital if we can't close the rest of the round? Or do we wait and slog it out? And I had a lot of belief in the idea that we would get traction fast. And so made the decision to just launch with what we had raised already. And we came roaring out of the gate. I mean, we were in press very quickly. We were featured first in Vogue and then, you know, four or five other pretty well-known national publications that first week. That gave us the exposure. We were getting sales very quickly. Things were moving fast, and that allowed me to really secure the rest of that seed round. Let me ask you about the PR quickly. Did did, sure. did that did that happen because they found you, or did you make that part of your strategy? Did you hire a firm and actually execute a PR campaign on launch? It was part of the strategy. I mean, I had... <laughs> I listened to a podcast from the Warby Parker founders talking about they had really how they had leveraged PR to come out of the gate strong. And I, it felt like that wasn't a strategy that would work for everyone, but it seemed like one that could work for us. And so, you know, we had two phases or sort of two approaches to our, our launch strategy. One was to use press to get in front of people. And then the second was to use retargeting through Facebook and Instagram and Google to really capture the attention and, and drive conversion. And it worked. We had a PR agent as a national 
firm, but some had a, a local agent that worked very closely with us. And, you know, we were sending plants to reporters, doing the press tour in New York, visiting, hustling to make it happen. And, and it did. Yeah, amazing. All right, look, we're going to run to a break. When we come back, we're going to hear the rest of the story leading us up to today. I personally want to hear about that most amazing moment when an entrepreneur who's got a great vision, who puts him or herself out there, that raises money, that sells the vision, that puts his his or her reputation on it. And then there's that moment where the orders start pouring in. And that idea, you look in the mirror and you say, damn, this is going to work. And that's just a great moment. So when we come back, we're going to hear about that great moment for you, Justin, right after this break on Startup Nation Radio. You're listening to Startup Nation Radio on News Talk 760 WJR. Here's Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. What a great story. Born right here in Detroit a direct-to-consumer company that's really on a roll. We've got Justin Mass, founder and CEO of Bloomscape. That's the story. Justin, there's a moment when an entrepreneur who has a vision and puts him or herself out there says, wow, you know what? I was right. What was that moment like for you and when did it happen? I think this is the plague of an entrepreneur. You know, my eyes are set forward at what we're trying to build and you know, the moments of success are there. We certainly have a lot to be proud of. When I get those moments where I think back to how far we've come, you know, from three, two years ago, we really do have a lot to be proud of. That said, it's moving fast. We, we have so much more that we want to build. And so it, it has been a, a bit of a practice to try to make time to stop and, and celebrate and, and carve out those moments. But there isn't that kind of aha moment like there might be in a movie or a, or a show. Yeah, you know why? That's all relative to an entrepreneur's expectations. You, you've set the bar high. You now have investors in the business you have to answer to. And you, you mentioned that, you know, getting that success to happen within that venture capital time frame, as you put it. And I heard that. And there's pressure that comes with that. And, you know, for an entrepreneur, one might say my moment of validation came when the company was acquired, say, for example, or went public or whatever it may be, because you're setting the bar really, really high. This is not a you know, little business you're creating that's a lifestyle kind of thing, although obviously you love what you do. This is a big undertaking. This is a big endeavor, a big challenge, and you've got uh, a lot achieved. And a lot still yet to be proven for sure. I liked your answer. I know your investors will like your answer too. Norm, you had a question about competition. That's clearly a factor here. Yeah, so Justin, who are the big competitors you have that you want to topple? And who are some of the people in the past? For example, there used to be a Weber's greenhouse that you're trying to be that company. Yeah, that's right, Norm. I mean, we look to the big mass retailers and we see that there's a lot of money being left on the table in the industry and a big, I would say that premium experience section has been really left behind. So that's what we're after. I think for the most part, we're actually creating a new market here in the way that we're pursuing it. But when we think about our competitors, we really do frame ourselves against the, you know, the national garden centers like Lowe's and Home Depot. And you're right. When we think about how we're positioning ourselves in the space, there was that independent garden center. And there, there are still some of these left, but less so now. There was that independent garden center that they were plant people. They knew plants well. The plants were healthy. You could come in. You could get expertise. Someone would, would get to know you and, and make sure that you got set up with the right plants. And you could come back and ask, hey, what's this brown spot? Or 
am I watering too much or not enough? And that really, we're trying to create a modern version of that experience that really has had become less prevalent over the last couple of decades. That's interesting. Does brick and mortar factor into the plan at all? Absolutely. I mean, we started digitally, but as I've said, our vision is to reinvent the garden center. I think any modern brand right now, any startup retailer knows that you can start digitally, you can reach a much more potent audience across the nation faster launching digitally. And it, you get such an intimate, direct connection with your customers when you start that way. But for us, it's, it's not that we're just an e-commerce company. I think we look to companies like Peloton or Warby Parker for inspiration, you know, retailers that have, have used brick and mortar as a front end experience where people can go in and try on the product or meet with a specialist or concierge and really touch and feel, but that everything still gets delivered right to your home. So there's that added convenience factor and you're really leveraging the supply chain and distribution infrastructure that you've built. And that's what we're really looking to do. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because the e-commerce side of the business provides that efficiency and convenience that you're speaking of. I mean, the ultimate example of that is Amazon, of course, but others do it really well now too as well. So you've got that side of the business, but you've used the word experience many times and it's hard to build experience online. It's harder. Really, it's about, that's about buying. It's about, you know, efficiency and convenience in the process of buying something. The experience, you mentioned Peloton, for example, and they use those showrooms, I'll call them, really effectively to give people an ability to come in, touch and feel, get close to the product, have an experience, you know, that's harder to create and deliver online. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where we're really benefiting from the nature of our product. Here's what I mean by that. You talk to any direct-to-consumer brand and they'll tell you that they're looking for ways to build an experience and extend that customer relationship as long as they can. You're going to pay a certain amount to acquire that customer. You want to build up the lifetime value so that you can, you don't have to keep acquiring new customers to make your money. And so what's so great for us is that when it comes to plants, we don't have to come up with a way to stay connected to our customers. They're actually coming to us regularly asking for our attention. Once people get their plants, they want to know, what do I do with this thing? How often do I water it? When should I repot it? What kind of soil should I use when I repot it? Do I clip? Do I not clip? And there's, there's already such a natural conversation our customers want to have with us that we're figuring out how to build on that, but there's so much to work with there. And I think when we get to brick and mortar, it'll be a combination of that touch and feel and experience as you're thinking about shopping, but also a place to come to where you can get expertise and deepen your relationship with the company. You know, I think of an Apple store as a really good example. I mean, for sure, it's an ultimate example. So here you are just now successfully coming off the heels of a $15 million raise into the company, presumably and likely obviously at a much higher than that valuation in order to command that kind of investment. And you're starting to see, while you admittedly have indicated that, you know, you haven't had that moment where you said, uh, you know, you haven't had that aha moment where I, I am right. That hasn't come yet. You're still fighting the battles, but you're seeing signs. There's no doubt you're seeing signs, not the least of which, again, is a $15 million round of investment by really savvy investors. I saw the investor list. It's impressive. And, you know, your business is changing. It's changing from one in which you wake up and you get your first few customers and you hope to raise some money and you hope to 
to prove to investors that you're worthy of raising that money and all the rest. You've moved from that kind of early primordial stage to now really being challenged with having to prove yourself. You've got big money in the company. You've got others counting on you and expecting big returns from this investment. You are perhaps teaching the market what to do and maybe encouraging by doing so competition to begin to get into the market and so on, following your model and and all kinds of factors like that. What do you see for this company and for you as the leader of the company over the next, say, you know, two, three, four, five years, whatever it's going to take, you know, whatever you see, whatever you're able to see? Yeah, you said it well. We, We found product market fit and that's the first step, right? You launch something, you need to see that you know, for a customer, the price is right, the product is right, the value proposition's there. So we did that. And from there, it's about scaling the organization. So yes, we're launching into outdoor. And yes, we acquired the app, the, the plant care app, and have added that to our experience. But really, most of the work right now is, is scaling the organization so that we can build a culture, we can build a core team of people that can keep the machinery going and build out our supply chain. And so that's the hard work right now. As much as we're, you know, you see us growing quite a bit externally, we're, we're popping up in a lot of new places. And I think for a lot of people, it feels like you're just hearing about Bloomscape now everywhere. For us, most of the work is internal and scaling the organization so that we can keep up with our own growth. Norm, it's a good one, isn't it? I mean, you hear about businesses all the time. This is a good one. Yeah, good success in raising the money. You know, it's a question of how you're using that money to get where you want to go. But you have big competitors to topple, but people are interested. My son I mean, has 80 vegetables, 24 fruit trees, and they even have camps, seed camps, where they all learn about what kind of seeds to use. So you are where people want to be. Uh, it's a question of how to get there quickly. Well, I have a feeling Justin knows how to get there. He's certainly proving he knows how to get here, and uh, I have no doubt he's going to know how to get there. So, Justin, thanks for sharing your story on Startup Nation Radio today. It's a good one. We're proud of you. We're thrilled for you. You deserve it. And uh, keep up the good fight, and we'll keep checking back with you and follow your amazing story. Thank you. All right, Justin, one last thing before we go. For those out there who want to do business with Justin and Bloomscape, how do they do it? Just reach out to us right through the website. We've got a, a great contact us page with different ways to get a hold of us. Okay, right on bloomscape.com. Back with more on Startup Nation Radio right after this message. You're listening to Startup Nation Radio on News Talk 760. WJR. Here's Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. Now moving to a subject that we want to make the listening public aware of those interested in the startup community here in Southeast Michigan in particular. There's an important event coming up very soon, and we're going to hear all about it. We have on with us Phyllis Ellison. She's the executive director of Invest Midwest Forum. And Phyllis, welcome to Startup Nation Radio. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, it's great to have you on. So we love to highlight events like this. Now, this one in particular, uh, I mean, I think there are many things we could say about it. But for me, uh, what's really cool is that this is an opportunity for uh, startup founders, entrepreneurs to pitch their companies to investors at the shot at getting some funding, right? And Correct. And that, we, boy... Anytime that's going on, we want to make sure the public's aware of that because this is, you know, getting that critical funding is, is, is one of those big challenges. Tell us about the event. We are thrilled to be having the Midwest Venture Showcase on April 27th and 28th. So coming up this coming week, and it's a really great partnership that's happening this year between Invest Midwest, which is based out of St. Louis and Kansas City, 
and the Midwest Growth Capital Symposium, which is based out of the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Right. Dr. Brophy, good friend. Uh, yeah, yes. Good, great David guy. Brophy's been doing this for a wonderful. while. Yep. He's been doing that for 40 years. He yeah. was the founder of the event. And I thought Invest Midwest had been around a long time. <laughs> We're at 22 years until we met Dr. Brophy and discovered that MGCS has been around for 40 years. So the event, though, I want to mention, it's going to be virtual this year. It is virtual. And, and that's where this partnership was created last year, when suddenly both of our events that are held in the spring of 2020, everything was suddenly being reevaluated and couldn't do the live events. And so we joined together to create a partnership. And especially in 2020, we were all highly concerned about what was going to happen to the startups in our community. And were they going to be able to continue to reach out to investors and get that critical capital when they needed it? So we were thrilled to be able to partner last Last year. Again, we're doing it this year, and this year's an expanded platform. So we have 55 companies that will be pitching. They are from across the Midwest, and that's a highlight of what we do is trying to help the entire country see the value and the benefit of these companies that are in the Midwest and the growth potential in them. Tell us about the types of companies that this applies to. You know, who should be interested in this? I mean, and at this point, the companies who will be doing the pitching, they're already lined up, right? That's correct. They have been selected. They've gone through a selection process and, and done some preparation for this. So there are several different categories. We have a tech track, which is pretty broad in terms of the type of technologies. We have a life science track and a subtrack of that being medical devices, particularly because Michigan is such a home to so many medical device companies yep, and yep, startups. Ann yep. And then we also have a food and agriculture track. So across on Tuesday afternoon, on April 27th, we will actually have five pitch tracks going at the same time. Life Science, Med Device, we're splitting technology into two tracks because there's over 25 companies there, and then Food and Ag. It's really a great opportunity for investors to see a breadth of activity, and they are grouped. So if you only want to hear the medical device pitches, you can just click into that track. And these span, you know, from early stage to, you know, growth capital stage, right? I mean, it's across the spectrum. Most of these are, are on the growth capital side. Some of the companies are late seed stage. So they've had probably some friends and family around, mm -hmm. maybe an angel investment, but this would be their first venture capital investment through some of the companies that are looking for a series B round. Um, they've gotten their series A venture capital, and now they're looking for add-on investment there. So on average, you have companies that are looking for a million dollars or more. And as a generality, you're probably looking at 750000 to about $8 million in terms of the range of investment that they're seeking. Right. And you've got a lot of investors who are already lined up to hear these pitches, but there's still opportunity for investors to participate if they want to, right? Oh, completely. We have about 125 investors already registered for the event. And they're coming into the platform already to schedule time on April 27th and 28th and that week to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with these companies as well. But people can register through Monday the 26th. So we encourage people to go ahead, get on the site, MidwestVentureShowcase.com, and get registered and be able to come in, see the pitches as well as start to schedule time to talk to these companies, because that's really where it comes down to is building the relationship between the investors and the, and the entrepreneurs. Sure, of course. And the type of investors that could participate. I mean, even though, let's say, if I'm an individual angel investor, I could still participate to join a round, right? I mean, I don't have to, oh. that, no one investor has to take any one round. So it's still worth it if you're an angel investor, an individual investor interested in maybe getting into the startup or making further investments into the startup community. You can do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, we have angel investors that come in. We have individuals that come in. 
venture capital firms ranging from very small local firms to larger national organizations that send their representatives. And then we also have institutional investors. The major corporations um, often have a venture capital arm or division that they're focused on acquiring new technologies and finding partner companies that they can bring in. So it really is a great breadth of, of investors that show to this. That's great. Can you give us any idea or share any stories on past successes, you know, that have come out of these events in terms of companies getting funding? There are a lot. MGCS has had over a thousand companies come through their pipeline and Investment West has had a nearly an equal number. So there's a lot of companies out there. I'll pick on one from last year, companies called Resilient. This one happens to be based out of St. Louis and two fabulous entrepreneurs that come with medical backgrounds and research backgrounds. They joined forces a couple of years ago and they are creating a platform for digital medicine, so remote medicine. So last year they pitched they have had introductions through those relationships that they started at Invest Midwest that led them to being, one, accepted into the Techstars cohort for 2020, which is a huge boost for them. And they've also had introductions that led to conversations with investors, and they're, they're still in discussions and you know, it takes time to build out those investment portfolios and, and to close around. But that's a great example of two people that started with looking at each other and saying, we've got a great idea. Where do mm -hmm. we go from here? Mm -hmm. right. And to see them graduate from Techstars last year. A year ago, they had two employees. Now they're at six and they are across the country and into Canada. So they're building out their marketplace as well. That's really great. And that's what it's all about. There's value across the spectrum to events like this. They're educational. They're inspiring. They're informative. It gives you a view of the playing field, kind of where business startups are going at any given time. But beyond that, you know, some of them, uh, a meaningful percentage of them get the funding and get established and grow and some grow big right. and, and hire people and, you know, provide a great cultural advancement into the community by, you know, demonstrating what can be done if you do it right. Uh, and inspiring others to do it. And more of those companies are staying in the Midwest. Uh, you know, if you looked at 10 or 20 years ago, if there were investors from the coast that were interested in these smaller companies, they were probably bringing those companies to the coast. Today, even pre-COVID, they were starting to leave those companies in the Midwest and recognizing that there was a supportive culture for growing these companies and a real economic benefit to seeing their investment dollars last longer in communities that are not as expensive to live in as the coasts are. Mm -hmm. And so, and certainly right now with COVID, you know, a tech company, they can be getting their tech workers from anywhere. You don't have to pick people up and move them. Right. And so I think we're going to see that trend continue post-COVID here of, yeah, let's make sure we get the right workers where they need to be, but that doesn't mean they have to pick up and move all the time. Yeah. And I think that's a critical point. You know, you can do all the talking you want to do about, you know, stimulating and fostering and facilitating the entrepreneurial community and you know, you can know the value that the startup kind of community brings to a local economy. You can know all that. You can do all that. You can say all that. But if you don't have the funding available to these companies and if you don't have the you know tech workforce and so on, the other things, the critical resources they need to make it happen, it's all going to be talk. And the reality is we're starting to see, you know, real traction in the Midwest, throughout the Midwest of companies, as you say, staying right here. Because finally, people are starting to see and, and, you know, there's funding here, there's opportunity here, and maybe this is where the opportunity really is. And so it's an exciting time for the Midwest. Right. And it really is. And thanks to, you know, credit to people like you. 
It's, it's really an honor to be able to help grow the entrepreneurship community in multiple regions here. I think more of the communities are starting to recognize that the startup community isn't a cute, energetic sideshow, um, if you There will. you go, right. But, but they were really right. recognizing the economic value of it in terms of job creation. And of course, that all flows through to you know new taxes and employment and, and you know, that multiplier effect of every person with a job is out in the community spending money. I think people are recognizing that it's a critical factor for all of our communities to continue to grow. Indeed. Well, Phyllis, thank you. We're out of time for now, but we're looking forward to uh, looking in on the event and, you know, maybe even participating here or there uh, across the opportunities. It's really exciting. We want to thank you and Dr. Brophy and the entire organizations behind this important event. Tell us one more time, if people want to learn more, where do they go? They should go to MidwestVentureShowcase.com. And go ahead and get registered right away. We have a great lineup of keynotes and panels the morning of the 27th and 28th. And then pitches the afternoon from the companies the afternoon of the 27th. And then we also have um, university tech transfer pitches the afternoon of the 28th. So there's two packed days of content. And I think both startups, investors, and the business community will find real value for being there. That's great. Phyllis, thank you again. Thanks for not only the good work you're doing in the community and across the Midwest, but also for being on Startup Nation Radio and telling our community about it. We really appreciate it. Back with more on Startup Nation Radio next week. Thanks for tuning in today. Go out there and start it up. The preceding program was furnished by Startup Nation Media Group.